Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would do exactly as Jesus said that what he would do, and that's to help us understand these words. And so would you please this morning, by your grace and by your mercy, help us to understand. Convict us. Lead us to repentance. Awaken our sinful hearts. Comfort us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If one of your children were murdered, would you be able to forgive the person who did it? I recently read a story where a man was faced with this reality. Pastor of a church, professor at a Christian college, speaker at Christian conferences. In fact, he was at a Christian conference and had just finished speaking when he received a phone call that while his son was at work, it was, there was an attempted robbery that took place where his son was shot and killed. Maybe that's a bit of an extreme example to start with this morning. 
What if your child, what if your friend, your coworker, your spouse, they lied to you? Maybe money was stolen from you by somebody you trusted. How about the anger of another person that was lashed out on you again? Do you forgive them? Do you throw up your hands and yell for justice? Do you cancel them like a Netflix subscription and ignore them? You see, this was on the mind of Peter as he's listening to Jesus' teaching. How often am I to extend forgiveness? And what we see this morning, essentially what we see Jesus tell his disciples, is that because God has generously forgiven you, you should forgive others. Because God has generously forgiven you, now you forgive others. And we will see this unfold for us this morning. First, in how much I forgive. Second, how much he forgave. And then third, the dangers to unforgiveness. So we look here first at how much do I forgive. And, and Peter here is asking the question that's on everybody's mind that's in the room. How much do I forgive a person who sins against me? The passage tells us, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Peter is asking this because of what Jesus had just taught his disciples. That is, what to do with an unapologetic sinner. So what Peter is asking Jesus is how long do I forgive a person? He's asking the same question that we in the 21st century ask ourselves. How much more do I put up with this person? How long until I can cut this person off of my forgiveness? Now, as I've said before, with the disciples, what we've been seeing is for them, it's been two steps forward and one step back. And we're seeing here that Peter, he's, he's learning a bit from Jesus. He's understanding a bit of how Jesus moves and acts and thinks. And this is why, before Jesus answers Peter, Peter answers himself. How many times do I forgive Jesus? And Peter's answer is a bit generous. Should I forgive seven times, Jesus? You see, culturally, at this time, it was common within one day to forgive a person three times. In one day, a person could have three chances at forgiveness, and then after three strikes, you're out. I don't need to forgive you anymore. 
Culturally, that was the acceptable way to think about forgiveness. And so what does Peter do? Very cleverly, because he's learning from Jesus, he doubles the amount of forgiveness that he extends a person, and then he adds one just to be on the safe side with Jesus. And yet we see in Peter's answer, we see that it's very problematic. Because what Peter is still asking Jesus is, how long until I don't have to forgive this person anymore? I wonder how many times throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the years, we live, we are guilty of doing the same thing that Peter does right here. By putting a number on the amount of times that we will forgive a person. One more strike we think to ourselves. And then that person, that person is cut off. But we see something here take place where Jesus isn't impressed with the amount that Peter gives him. In fact, Jesus sees seven times as too little. If you read, it says 77 times, or you might read in another version that it says 70 times seven. If we look at the amount of times, then we are not understanding what Jesus is trying to communicate. And so what we need to do is we need to take the position of the disciples hearing this. We need to read this through the disciples' lens. Because as the disciples were sitting there, this would have caused them to fall out of their seats to hear Jesus say this. This would have caused an audible gasp in the room, this would have caused some of the disciples' faces probably to scrunch up in confusion when you're listening to somebody and you say, really? Because what Jesus is communicating here to his disciples is that he's telling them to be, to be generous with their forgiveness. What Jesus is telling the disciples here is that there is no limit to their forgiveness. I've noticed a lot lately, maybe you have too, shirts, mugs, even bumper stickers with a two-word saying, be kind. Now, I wholeheartedly agree with that message. But I think what we really need in the 21st century is to see shirts, mugs, and bumper stickers that say, be forgiving. You see, for the Christian, forgiving others is the New Testament lifestyle that Jesus is calling his followers to walk in. 
So then why is it so difficult to walk in forgiveness? It's because oftentimes we look to the culture, we look to the world, we look to people around us to see how they define and work out forgiveness in their lives. And so what we do is we take our cues from the things that influence our culture. We see how people on the news forgive others. We see how people on social media forgive others. And what do I mean by this? Why go through all of this trouble to talk about this right here? Well, because right now, although we live in a time where people want to say that we're growing and maturing and evolving in our love for others, we see that we also live in a culture that is very slow to forgive and very quick to cancel. And so when we are influenced to be slow to forgive but quick to cancel, we at times go right along with the culture in how we forgive, in how we approach our forgiveness, which in the 21st century, the popular consensus would be is forgiveness by cancellation. Forgiveness by ignoring you, shutting you out. You see, when we are sinned against, we do feel violated. That is a real emotion that wells up in us. And we want to do something about it. We want justice. And we want justice without retaliation. And so the best thing to do is to cancel the person, is to shut them out, is to ignore them, is to just coexist. So, before we move on this morning with this message, there's the question that we all must wrestle with. Have we been taking our cues from the culture? Have we caught, been caught up in cancel culture? Is your forgiveness towards your spouse, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your coworkers small? Is it based off of how the world forgives? Is it based off of cancel culture? To ignore? To move away? To shut out? And just coexist. Now I want to remind you that Jesus, he's teaching his disciples, as we just saw in these first two verses, that their forgiveness should be limitless. And so, we see that Jesus, he helps his disciples, he helps us, the so-called modern and advanced, the evolved 21st century man and woman, why we forgive. And he does this through a story. And in this story, he shows how much he forgives. We read, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, 
His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. Now this story, it's shocking. This is a scandalous story that Jesus is telling. It has multiple similarities and numerous unexpected twists and turns in it. Let's look at it and see where they are. Let's look at the first interaction as we see the king settling account with one of his servants. He decided that now is judgment day. Now is the day where I settle the accounts with all of my servants who have taken out a loan from me. And our passage shows us that he gets to one servant who owes him 10,000 talents. Now let me put this in perspective for us. So that way we understand the weight and the gravity of how much this person took out from this king. If this was modern day, if this was the 21st century, the equivalent to 10,000 talents would be about $3.5 billion in debt. This is the debt that the servant owed the master, $3.5 billion or 10,000 talents. Now your first gut reaction might be, well, this is uh, the foolishness of the king. Why wouldn't the king just cut him off? But instead, what we must notice here, that this is actually the graciousness of the king, his generosity and patience and mercy already towards the servant. You see, it was the man who continued to take advantage of the king's mercy and generosity that we need to look at. And we see the king here is ready to square away this debt. And we are faced with the reality that there is no possible way that this servant can pay this money back to his king. It's impossible. It won't happen. It can't happen. So what does the king do? The king decides to cut his losses and he will sell the servants along with his wife and kids and all of the goods that he owns. This is the just thing for the king to do, is it not? This, is, this would be justice for the king to say, I will, I will cut my losses and sell this man and his wife and his children and all of his goods. This is the just thing to do. $3.5 billion is not chump change. But let's look at the servant's response as he, he falls down and he asks for more time. He, he asks the king, be patient with me, king, and I will pay you everything back. I will pay you all 10,000 talents back. Now the king is no fool. The king knows that this task of paying him everything back is impossible. 
But we see the king's mercy on display. We see the king's pity for his servant. We see that the king is so moved with compassion and mercy that his insides turn. And what does he do? He looks at the servant who has fallen down and is pleading with him on his knees. And he says, I will wipe your debt clear. He wipes it all the way clear. $3.5 billion cleared just like that. What would have taken the six million workdays? 200,000 years to pay the king back was forgiven in a moment. Well, we see that the story continues on, don't we? And we see that now the servant who was forgiven of this massive, this unthinkable debt takes on the king's role in the story. Now he is going to square away an account that he has. He finds a fellow servant and we see one of the dissimilarities. We see this servant who is just forgiven. He chokes his fellow servant and demands he pay back the 100 denarii that he loaned him. If 10,000 talents is about 6 million days of work, 100 denarii would be about 100 days of work. So 100 denarii is a microscopic fraction of the 10,000 talents. And so we see the man with the 100 denarii give a similar response. What does he do? He asks this servant who is just forgiven of a massive debt, have patience with me. I will pay you back. And we're left with hope reading this that maybe the response will jog the memory of the servant who is forgiven of this massive debt and the servant will then forgive his fellow servant of the 100 denarii. Maybe he will respond like the king and have compassion for his fellow servant and say, your debt is cleared. But here is one of the twists is that the man who is seeking the 100 denarii, he is out for justice. He is out for retaliation. He is out to cancel his fellow servant. And so he has his fellow servant thrown into jail until the debt of 100 denarii is paid back. So what did that pastor, the Christian college professor, the, the conference speaker do when he was murdered? Did he forgive him? Did he ignore him and cancel him? Here's how this pastor, this brother in Christ, threw forgiveness he says I thought about what Jesus went through for me 
I know that I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. I've committed infraction after infraction, fallen short of the glory of God. I realized what God had done to forgive me. I lost Tony, but not willfully. God himself preordained the death of Jesus. God did that. Abraham came within seconds of killing his son Isaac, and God stopped the knife. But God let the knife come down on Good Friday on his own son. He didn't stop it. So, when I think about that, oh my goodness, then it's an experience. It's an encounter that touches my heart, and the Spirit gives me the ability to do what I don't want to do and what I couldn't do. Then it becomes a delight to participate in what God has already done, which is forgiving the one who committed the infraction against me. We, we, you and I, we are like the servant who presumes on God's kindness and patience and generosity. We, day after day, uh, accumulate a debt of sin that grows that we must pay back but can't. Day after day, our iniquities and infractions against God, they grow, they double, they triple, they quadruple. But Jesus, He comes and He settles our debt through His sacrifice. He pays the debt that we owe. And when we trust in Him, our debt is cleared. It is wiped out. It is settled away. What would have taken us an eternity to pay back in full the debt of sin that we owe God, Christ, He clears that debt in a moment of obedience on the cross. Our debt is paid full through the sacrifice of Christ. And so we must ask the question, have we come to understand that forgiveness? And the only true way to understand that forgiveness is if we have truly encountered that forgiveness. Has your debt of sin been forgiven? Has it been wiped away? Now, if you aren't a Christian, and what you are hearing me say is that I don't care about justice and that we should just forgive, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. What I want to challenge you to think through is this idea of cancel culture. What I would like to challenge you to think through specifically is how cancel culture points to the need of Jesus. It points to the need of the gospel. That cancel culture ultimately points to our inability to truly love our neighbor as we have been called to do. That we all have secret things that we have done to deserve to be canceled and forgive, or deserved to be canceled and not forgiven. You have a creator that sees all of your secret sins. All of the secret thoughts that you have thought about. All of the secret things that you've longed to do or take. And if you come to him seeking forgiveness, he will forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, he will forgive you and wipe your whole debt of sin out. 
this is exactly why those who are forgiven must forgive. Because there are dangers to a heart that is unforgiving. And we see this as Jesus finishes his story and he gives his disciples a warning. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave that because you pleaded with me. And should not you have fellow servant, I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should kill his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We see that the man who experienced the forgiveness of the king, he did not extend the same forgiveness to his fellow servant. The one who is cleared of this massive debt, he canceled his fellow servant and he didn't think twice about it. And this strongly provokes the other servants who are watching in where they tell the king everything that happened. And we see the king is upset. He's shocked. He thinks this is unbelievable. He tells this servant, I've cleared this massive debt of yours that I knew you could never pay off. And yet you couldn't clear the debt of one of your fellow servants. And so what the king does is he sends the servants to jail where he would spend the rest of his life. The king says, until you pay off the debt, the king knows that this man will never pay off the debt. Which means that the servant who is going to jail will stay in jail forever. And so we see Jesus resolve this story for us. We see Jesus resolving the question that Peter asked. He says, those who take on the posture of claiming to be forgiven by the king and yet not forgiving others, will experience the same sentence as the unforgiving servant that we've read about. So what is Jesus teaching us here? What is Jesus trying to show us? What is he trying to show you this morning, sitting in your seat? He is teaching that an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. 
one who is unable to forgive another has not truly tasted and seen the king's forgiveness. Now I want those of you who have sensitive consciences to hear me say this. He is not talking about those who have a desire to forgive. Those who long to be able to forgive. Those who are attempting to forgive in their hearts. What's being communicated here is those that are unfor- who have an unforgiving heart truly haven't experienced the forgiveness of God are those who are refusing to forgive, not desiring to forgive. I don't want the enemy to have a foothold of keeping condemnation on you this morning. So are you desiring to forgive your neighbor? Are you desiring to forgive the person that has sinned against you? There is a difference between those who refuse to forgive and those who desire to forgive. But still, nonetheless, it is serious when a person professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior but doesn't forgive. Why is this? Why must we examine our hearts and pursue forgiveness as the children of God? Because when you say that you've been forgiven, but then you don't extend forgiveness, you are displaying a God who is not presented to us in the Bible. And you are displaying that God to the world by saying, of course He would forgive me, but I should not forgive you. You are displaying a small God. A God that is nowhere found in the Scriptures because the God of the Scriptures is a patient God. He is a a faithful God. He is willing to forgive you. He has more grace inside of Him. This is why Paul, he says to the church, to one church, he says, put on then God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And then in a, to another church, Paul writes, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We read this morning in 1 John, as John is writing then to a different church than Paul writes to, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And the implication being there, we must pursue forgiveness from our hearts. Brothers and sisters, the mark of a true Christian, somebody who has been born again, is the ability and desire to forgive their neighbors that have sinned against them. Are you pursuing forgiveness? Are you withholding forgiveness from a child? Are you withholding forgiveness from a co-worker? Your parent, a friend, a sibling. 
Look, church. Look and reflect on the forgiveness that God has extended to you when there is no way that you could pay that back. Brothers and sisters, God has richly and generously forgiven you. He's forgiven all your sin. May you meditate on the length that God went to to extend forgiveness to you. And through that meditation, you say and believe in the deepest parts of your heart that because God has generously forgiven me, I will forgive others. Let's pray. Father, heal our hearts. And help us to forgive from our hearts those who have sinned and, and hurt us. May we confess our shortcomings to you with a relieved heart, knowing that you are faithful and just and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.